Hello and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services provider for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at over 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and data to help power their emerging markets business strategies. Today we'll discuss the latest developments in Belarus and the outlook for the market for 2016 and the next few years. My name is Mark McNamee and I'm the Central and Eastern European Analyst at FSG and will be moderating today's podcast. Joining me for today's conversation is Andrew Wilson, an expert on Belarus, Ukraine, and Eastern Europe in general, a professor at the School of Slavonic and East European Studies at the University College London, and a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Our clients should also note that Andrew is a member of our expert advisor network and can be contacted via your account manager. Andrew, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here. Wonderful. So, Andrew, let's just dive right into it. Belarus seems to be at a bit of a crossroads, we could say. A number of significant economic issues, of course, sort of a contracting economy for this year, poor outlook for next year. Politically, some questions, international issues, of course, with Russia uh, activity in the region. Um, so it's very timely to discuss these matters with you. So let's begin with the recent elections in, in October. Were they different this time in any way, or what, what was your take on these elections? The result wasn't different. The result was as everybody expected. But the general climate was very different, both uh, in economic and political terms. Uh, First, the economy. Uh, As you say, GDP is down this year and forecast to be flatter or best next year. For all sorts of structural problems that we'll go into, um, not just um, the fact that its neighbours are in recession too, there are all sorts of longer-term problems building up which leads you to the kind of political differences because this is the first time Lukashenko since he was first won the presidency in 1994 has had to face re-election without being able to smooth that process with a booming economy normally he makes all sorts of pledges about a higher minimum wage uh, higher average wage sorry more money on welfare etc in fact the last election in 2010 uh, his big pledge was to make the average salary five hundred dollars a month. He hit that. Now it's two forty. Right? So um, because of devaluation and other things, you're talking about actual regress. For the moment, he can rely on other things to keep his support base intact. But he wasn't able to make those traditional, you know, campaign promises to sweeten his electorate. So where we go from here is is more kind of uncharted waters. Right, exactly. So that covers some of the political changes with the elections. No, uh, no surprise result, as you mentioned, Lukashenko winning uh, handsomely again. But getting into some of those economic issues, and that's really sort of the, the difference here that we're looking at. Um, so where do we sit today, and what, in your eyes, are really the biggest economic issues that the country's facing? Well, there was a good interview with the governor of the central bank the other day, who is a relative reformer. We'll come on to that. Apparently, he prays every morning for China to keep growing more than 6% and for the oil price to stay above $50. So there are things in the external environment which are not good for Belarus. Russia is in recession. Uh, Ukraine, another important trading partner, is in even bigger recession. Chinese growth is slowing down, and that's a big traditional export market. Um, A lower oil price is also bad news for Belarus. Um, People may not think of it as a 
oil exporter, but in fact it is a state which refine, refines crude and then Russian crude and then traditionally makes a lot of money by selling it for export. So a lower oil price is bad for Belarus too. Plus some um, all kinds of uh, more internal reasons whereby the basic sort of growth mechanisms are slowing down. So the big picture is that traditionally Ukraine, Belarus sorry, is going pretty quick. Um, and that growth has been funded by Russian subsidy. Most estimates are those subsidies run to about 15% or more of GDP per year. So without that, they can't run on debt and they can't run on a uh, current account surplus. So they've had to slow growth and keep a tight monetary policy because they don't have enough money in the kitty. Foreign exchange reserves, less than 5 billion US. They achieved current account balance um, sort of mid-year, but that means much, much lower growth uh, and not much prospect of restarting growth unless those structural conditions are done away with. Right, unless the uh, structural issues are, are addressed at the minimum and where, where that goes to. So, so that's, a good, that's a good recap. That's where we sit here, you know, December of 2015. Uh, where do you see the economy going then? Uh, what's, what are the options, I suppose, looking ahead? That's a pretty uh, dour picture that you've just described. Well, there's two ways of looking at that. The second that we'll go, come on to in a minute is talking about potential partners, you know, Russia, the IMF, China, or whatever. But another way of looking at it is you've basically got a choice. You can try and lift the structural constraints. So with money from somewhere, you can grow a little bit quicker. You're less constrained by the current account and the lack of foreign exchange reserves. So a little bit of foreign funding might help lift prospects for growth. The second route, though, is to reform and to kind of improve the kind of domestic drivers of growth. That, I guess, bridges us to the next question. The IMF wants to link the two issues. <laughs> Russia... Um, is less concerned. Its its loans are more tied to geopolitics. The IMF's money is more tied to internal reform. And that kind of frames the dilemma, I guess, for the authorities. Okay. Uh, interesting. I, I'd like to go into more detail with each of those options. But before we get to that, going forward, do you see any changes maybe or improvements in the investment environment? Do you think, you know, we're seeing some minimal changes with Kazakhstan trying to attract more foreign investment, some other struggling economies globally trying to attract more foreign investment. Do you see um, Belarus in any way, any any changes with that? Your thoughts in general on foreign investment? Well, Belarus has a couple of attractive features that Ukraine doesn't. Well, three, if we count, not being at war. The uh, monetary policy since the current government was appointed in December 2014 has been pretty conservative. Uh, Inflation is low um, compared to Ukraine. Currency is reasonably stable for the foreseeable future. It's done its external devaluation. There are some risks there. Um, But the plan is actually to introduce new notes and coins next year which is one reason why monetary policy has been relatively tight to not sabotage that. Um, so monetary conditions are good. There's less corruption in Belarus. You know, the state uh, keeps more of a lid on that kind of thing. There's p- corruption at the top. But the kind of middle-level corruption, street-level corruption, the harassment of small and medium enterprises that you constantly get in Ukraine, you don't really get in Belarus. But, on the other hand, it's a big yes or a big no. You have to be in favour with the authorities. 
or it's not worth being there. But at the moment, you have a non-populist government. Right? It hasn't been spending money. It hasn't been raising wages. It hasn't been taking risks with the, the Belarusian ruble. But it, I wouldn't call it a reformist government yet. So in terms of the kind of structural changes that a Western investor might like to see, privatisation obviously being the biggest, and a move from what um, Belarusians call, well, traditional neo-Soviet style planning to indicative planning, which was a kind of fashionable phrase early this year. The prospects for that, that kind of change are uncertain or on hold at the moment. Um, so I wouldn't expect too much. This is not a country which is going to turn into a you know, market economy, uh, a liberal Georgia-style utopia overnight. But in terms of uh, labour costs, proximity to Europe, um, law and order, uh, Belarus ticks some of those boxes. But there are geopolitical threats which we may conclude on. Right, yeah, we'll, we'll get into those. But it, it's important that you mention some of those, uh, those longer-term underlying attractive qualities of the Belarusian market, which, which are valid today but often uh, overlooked amid this, uh, this economic downturn here. So now you mentioned sort of the four options maybe, or, or the three options, and now maybe I'll present a fourth to you here, of going forward in this environment. So you mentioned briefly maybe turn to West in the IMF or a second option potentially turning to Russia or a third option potentially inviting China in um, or maybe there's a fourth option which we can discuss of maybe not doing any of them or some combination thereof if that's possible so let's let's delve into each uh, rather briefly your thoughts on turning to the West and turning to the IMF what's I guess in your opinion the likelihood uh, what would be the issues involved with that well you can actually do for all four at once you know you can try and you know do a little a little with each option and muddle along in that way, if you like. With the IMF, you have ongoing negotiations over a loan of about $3 billion. And the IMF is looking at some of the same kind of conditions that we just enumerated. Um, so the IMF is reasonably impressed with macroeconomic stabilisation, tight monetary policy, etc. But hasn't yet promised big amounts of money on that basis. What the IMF is looking for is structural reform. Not just because of, you know, the Washington consensus or whatever, but because Belarus is really held back by the kind of bloated public sector, which predominates. Um, a few enterprises, big enterprises have been shedding labour, but nothing spectacular. Growth is genuinely held back by some of the kind of old-fashioned practices that persist, part of which is Lukashenko's social contract to keep voters happy. You still don't have easy hiring and firing. Um, unemployment is still relatively low, etc. Um, so the IMF is looking for Belarus to go to that next phase. And with a country like Belarus, which is very top-heavy, policy is difficult to predict because it really depends so heavily on the whim of the president. So before the election, actually, there was a lot of IMF-friendly language in his manifesto, which was interesting. <laughs> Certainly never seen that before. Um, but then his inauguration address in November t took quite a big step back. He was talking about stability and even using really colourful language like the threat of civil war and disorder um, if um, market reforms went too far too quickly um, and promoting himself as a, a guarantor of stability rather than economic reform. 
So that was kind of um, a signal of one step back, if you like. So with the IMF, um, the the conversation is ongoing, but um, certainly not the deal. Certainly not done. Right. So then let's move to the second option. And I'm, I'm going to pin you down for maybe a likelihood uh, of scenarios here at the end, but let's go through each option here. So so with Russia, where do you see this moving? And of course, this brings up some geopolitical issues, as you mentioned, uh, this potential air base that there's been discussions about uh, recently. Y- your thoughts on the likelihood of that and some of the issues? Well, um, with Russia, Belarus wants money, <laughs> and it comes either upfront, overtly, from a loan or whatever. Uh, But also, there are various forms of covert, not secret, but just, you know, um, less less obvious subsidy that um, Belarus benefits from or would like to once again benefit from, because Russia's trimmed them back. Cheap gas, cheap crude uh, being the big two. Uh, You did have a small loan, well, relatively small loan promised in July... 760 million. Uh, Lukashenko is increasingly critical of the Eurasian Economic Union as a whole. It's not actually delivering as uh, Belarus had hoped. Um, The big problem with uh, big loans from Russia is that geopolitical strings come attached. And it seems at the moment that um, further cash injections and Russia, of course, is is itself uh, not exactly... uh, Awash with ready money at the moment. Um, these come with a geopolitical condition. This is the airbase that you mention, which is doubly difficult for Lukashenko. One, because traditionally he defends Russian airspace and gets paid um, a decent amount for that. But there's also this fear that it bec- could become like the, the Russian Black Sea Fleet, a kind of basis for Russian influence within Belarus, pressure on the Belarusian state. So it's not just an airbase, it's a kind of political symbol as well. Um, So in terms of loans, Russia is less forthcoming than it normally is. But there's also the kind of negotiation over the exact terms of gas delivery, crude oil delivery. There's some scope for less obvious forms of Russian subsidy there. There's some hope for Russia... Belarus to re-expand food exports to Russia. Um, Russia keeps shooting itself in the foot by banning first European food, French cheese, Norwegian salmon. Now it's Turkish tomatoes or whatever. Um, there are some there's some scope for Belarusian agricultural exports to take up some of the slack. The dispute between Ukraine and Russia at the moment has led to sort of mutual bans uh, on air flights etc again Belarus hopes to take up some of the slack with promoting Minsk as a regional hub instead so there are all these kind of less obvious channels um, but, but the biggie is Russian money and Russia is going slow on that because uh, it has other uh, points of pressure in mind right <laughs> Like making sure they can ensure stability in their own country. I think sure, that would be a sure. primary one. Yeah, geopolitics first. I right, yeah. yeah. The third option then, uh, China. Is this? There's a lot in the news, of course, Chinese investment globally. They're expanding their markets. Uh, Lukashenko and Belarus have been interested in years in trying to tap into this to an extent. Is this uh, a legitimate option, you think, or uh, maybe can help contribute to re- uh, restabilizing their economy? 
Well, there are many states in the region which have looked to China as a kind of alternative partner. Georgia is selling a lot of wine to China at the moment. Uh, Ukraine and uh, Yanukovych had big sort of geopolitical hopes. Didn't come to much. Whereas Lukashenko has been sort of trying to pursue this angle for many years, as you say. Um, I think five or six times he's been to Beijing. Um, And the visit of the Chinese president to Minsk this summer was symbolically hugely important. And it helps diversify both uh, Belarusian trade and its kind of balancing foreign policy options also. But increasingly, Minsk has found that uh, Beijing is a pretty tough negotiating partner. It's not really interested in geopolitics in the same way Russia is. It's not interested in subsidising the Belarusian regime, as you say, to protect Russia's western flank. That's not the issue for China. Uh, China's not about to give out free subsidies. So there are loans, there are cheap loans, uh, which are important. Um, There's a big sort of Chinese Trojan horse investment programme near the Minsk airport, which has a promising future. It, It makes sense for China. Um, to kind of have this double backdoor uh, into both the Eurasian Economic Union and hopefully into the European Union too. And Minsk will push that relationship for all that it's worth, for all the marginal gains that it can get. But China isn't really the primary partner. It isn't going to give you the big, big loans to keep you afloat in the way that either the IMF or Russia might. Right. No, that's that's a, that's a good point. And, and what's interesting, a lot of these... Uh former Soviet states and Russia itself are are learning the lesson that, you know, maybe Russia wasn't such a fabulous partner, but China's not your savior. And if you want a tougher partner than Russia, you may have found it in Beijing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, great. Uh, A fourth option then, maybe none of the above, a combination of the above. Uh, What do you see? Well, with a kind of tight monetary policy that they've had through 2015, leading to sort of more of a current account balance of actually meeting repayments on loans avoiding taking out new ones for the moment Belarus has stopped hemorrhaging money precisely because there's there's nothing much left in the kitty less than 5 billion US in in foreign ex- foreign exchange reserves so if GDP is I mean they're forecasting more or less flat GDP in 2016 IMF more like minus 2% obviously the the difference is a big difference you can see the government muddling along with a little bit of everything. We don't know for how long. It depends on external shocks, whether they come along. Uh, but often that's the kind of preferred option where you don't want to plump for option A or option B, Russia or the IMF, when that when your whole raison d'etre is kind of playing one off against the other. So they may delay those kind of fundamental decisions for as long as they can. Certainly through the winter, they're not in the kind of um, under threat from the cold weather in the same way that Ukraine is, <laughs> without without enough energy, etc. Um, so the crunch may come sometime in the spring or summer, when, if Lukashenko is looking at his whole next term, um, until the next elections in five years' time, then they have to think of a, a strategy for getting there, rather than just sort of getting by day to day. Right, that's interesting. Yeah, sort of delaying. So it, it seems like it's uh, it maybe the eleventh hour, but it it's not quite eleven fifty nine. So 
they can sort of push things off of it. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Doing nothing is always a viable strategy. Right. <laughs> For some time. Yeah. I don't know about the central bank chairman's uh, idea of praying more. Uh, it makes it sound like all they need is additional priests to, to write the economy. Well, Lukashenko always described himself as an orthodox atheist. <laughs> well, this... So uh, prayer might help. The, exactly. The uh, Soviet ironies, I suppose. Very interesting. Thanks. Uh, and of those then, I'm going to... I got to get you on the record here. Where do you see that? Which choice, sort of? It sounded like you were going more towards that maybe fourth option type thing of sort of muddling along then. Is that more or less your view? Yes, unless the um, opinion polls change. Belarus is a country where the authorities do actually take opinion polls um, and probably pays more attention to them than the real elections. <laughs> the real elections not being real because the result is fixed. Um, and Here the numbers are, are difficult but not impossible. The number expecting their economic situation to worsen has gone up 42%, but it's been higher, 73% in 2011. Um, 47% prioritise peace and stability that's the most important thing to Belarusians not surprising given you know what's happening in Ukraine so as long as that's kind of the popular mood you know people are still prepared to hang on to Lukashenko because the alternatives are worse and because he provides stability in a as a kind of island of such in a very dangerous neighbourhood um, he can he can probably muddle through as I say, people have taken a big hit, actually, in, in, in terms of real incomes recently. But Belarusian public opinion is pretty instrumental. They, they expect their benign dictator to deliver. Um, so a few years of austerity might, might, change, might change calculations. Bets would be off. Okay, very interesting. That's good. That, I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you very much, Andrew, for this very interesting and insightful conversation. Uh, as a reminder to our clients, Andrew is a part of our expert advisor network, and you can speak with him by simply reaching out to your account manager directly. You can also access FSG's publications related to Belarus, including our monthly forecast through the economy, monthly market monitor reports, and our upcoming Belarus market spotlight on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance in Belarus and the rest of your emerging markets.